News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. All right, guys. So for tonight, we have a special show. It's a one-hour interview with Tijuana Brown. She's the one that was just elected to city council, even though she was a convicted felon and spent time in the penitentiary, several years in the penitentiary. But she has been elected to city council. And our Scott Hamilton from the WBT newsroom had a sit down with her, a long form sit down to just to go about her history and her past and where she was and where she is. So without further ado, here is Scott Hamilton talking to New Charlotte City Council member Tijuana Brown on her being elected, even though she's a felon. There's Latanya Tate, who's a city councilwoman in Alabama. Uh, there, um, there's a. I have another sister who's a state senator in, in Kentucky that we're incarcerated. So we are breaking barriers. We're kicking through the doors and breaking barriers because we said, who better to be at the table than us, the experts? But here's the real thing here. I am making history. Not only was there a coalition to keep me out of city council, but I don't dress like what people think city council women should dress like. And what does that look like? What does a city council woman dress like? You can't tell a person what to wear and how to look in this day and age. That can raise legal concerns, discriminatory concerns. There's things that you just can't say to women about their clothes and their attire. It didn't come directly from our city council team, but it's people that voted for me. You know, that's not how city council lady dress in my inbox. You should... You know, try wearing a skirt that come below your knees. You should invest in, in more suits that come below your uh, pantsuits or clothes that come below your knees. It is 2023, and I'm hot, okay? I'm a beautiful woman. I work out. So I'm going to uh, wear what makes me feel good and what makes me look good. And that's not going to come with the authorization of people. Let me tell you something. The constituents spoke up. Knowing that I had been incarcerated, knowing that I had overcome adversity, Knowing that I had came home, went back, checked the box, a product of recidivism, not only did the constituents and the voters speak up, but they spoke up in a way that's never been spoke up before. So that is a message to everybody that's listening. We want her. I want every precinct in District 3, in the general and the primary, and that has never been done. I want exceedingly and abundantly every precinct. And in the history of District 3, that has not been done. I am also the first in, I am also the first formerly incarcerated person to sit at the dais, or the dais, whichever way they say it, in the city council in Mecklenburg County, but also in the state of North Carolina. And I am very, very excited about it. Can you imagine what the little girls that live in Southside, who I mentor today, how they're feeling? The young women at West Charlotte High School, who I mentor the young women at Performance Learning Center, the, the young women. In, maybe not in a situation yes. you were at a home where you had a good home, good support group. Right. You made your own mistakes, but you got you got kids now. That make other mistakes. Or, or who don't have a role model. Right, and there's self-esteem issues. There's the peer pressure. There's the bullying. There's domestic violence that's going on in high school and middle school that I'm shocked. If your boyfriend push you and push you into a wall, you hit your head, that's not love. We have to deal with it at a different angle because we're talking about minor, we're talking about youth. But it's still dealt with. That stuff starts early. But I think it's also what they get off of media, the media outlets, the social media, the TikTok, uh, the Instagram, the Facebook. You know, they get all this stuff and people laugh about stuff like that and they get millions of views. Okay, 
other people want to do that as well to intervene and to 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 interrupt i, I went to a uh, town hall with the um with crystal hill the superintendent yeah and it, it's been a couple months ago but there was a woman who brought up an interesting point about making sure that you know the kids are getting educated but it needs to start at home to a certain degree how do we make sure the parents are educated and not just with books and learning and all that but how to just function absolutely you got to bring all hands on deck you know we talked about the love that i got decades ago and we didn't come from money but we had the love the parents nowadays are trying to be um their friends we got to bring the parents in on all levels and make sure that they understand that you can be cool, but you have to be a parent. And being cool should not take the place of being a parent first. Being involved, being connected, and being engaged. And knowing what's going on with your children. Knowing what's going on with their life. Knowing who they're dating. Knowing if they're involved in illegal activities. Watching them. You know? Being present, being accountable, and being visible. Now, you know, mine started when I was out of high school. But these young folks in high school are doing some of the things that I did in the 90s. The scamming and uh, the fraud is very popular. Well, we had a deal with CM, um, CMPD a couple weeks ago, and they went over about how the, the restorative juveniles is just out of control. And a lot of them are repeat. Yes. A lot of them are repeat. But I'll tell you what you can do to reimagine what communities should look like. Bring back uh, community policing. Bring back a community that reimagines what um, supporting our children look like. Reimaginative justice. And that's dismantling everything and rebuilding. And that don't mean physically doing that. But, you know, inside of it, the programs, the staff, training them, their mindset. Unlearning to relearning. Unlearn to relearn. Reboot. Yes. Reboot. You know, that's what we need to do. And, I, you know, I'm just happy to be here today to share my story with you in debt and to talk about all the things that, you know, people need to know. Just a few more minutes. We've kept you. You're going to be a regular. It's all way. good. We're, we're going, you know how to get here now. We'll get you know a badge. You know how to get here. Absolutely. Um, you, you get ready to start this journey sworn in in just a couple of weeks, historic. Then you got to get down to business. And I know you're studying right now and you're prepping and you're trying to absorb a lot of information. Are there any people who are already in office, if not in Charlotte, maybe in Raleigh or somewhere else in the country that you lean on? Hey, how does how does this work or what do you think about this or with regards to everything, crime, homelessness, education, anything? Yeah, I have women um, that are are in this field that are already doing this work. That are, you know, my formerly incarcerated sisters that are doing it and doing it at a high level. But not even formerly incarcerated, though. I mean, people who have come up, I hate to use the word traditionally. Traditionally is fine. Yeah. But, you know, I lean on the people that have lived experience because they know what I'm dealing with. They know, and I say that, I I have mentors all over the world, but I like to give credit to our movement, this sisterhood Mm -hmm. that we've built. You know, this movement that we built of, of, of people with what, see, the world would call misfits, not able to bounce back. Not over, not able to overcome adversity, uh, adversity and all the challenges. I like to say the sisters that have have made it happen. But yes, I have regular people. I've had the mayor reach out to me, Mayor Valaus. I've had Dante on City Council, Dr. Victoria Watlington. I've I've had um, Marjorie Ed Briggs, who is is uh, as you know, who's Republican. Um, so I've had the team reach out to me. 
in my mind, it's I want to go into city council and restore hope and togetherness so that people will trust the council that leads the 14th largest city in the United States. That's that's a big deal. Like, I'm a big deal, right? I know I'm so humble, but I don't even think I know how much of a big deal I am because this is like a big deal, you know? Like, whoa, this girl is swearing in. She comes from the cage to the stage, from the prison cell to the dais. I'm telling you, this is phenomenal. Never thought I would have done it, and they never thought I would have made it. But here I am, Tijuana Brown, Charlotte City Council District 3. So when we come back, we'll hear from Tijuana Brown about how the whole jail thing happened and how it all came about. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on Breaking with Brett Jensen. Okay, so we're going to continue Scott Hamilton's interview with Charlotte City Council member Tijuana Brown, who was just newly elected. And in this segment, you'll hear about everything that happened on how she actually wound up in the penitentiary and the crimes that she committed. My first sentence was 33 and a half months, which is about three years, for misrepresentation of a Social Security number and fraud. So that's... Federal federal offense. Federal offense, period, point blank. Uh, Federal money college money, loans, anything dealing with uh, financial support going to college, it's, it's a government. So the United States of America versus Tijuana Deline Brown. When I got that indictment, I thought, I said, the whole United States of America is against me? What did I do? You know, I didn't know anything about this. To get a, an indictment that looks like the white pages of a, a telephone book back in the day, and I'm like, my God. They made it really look bad. Like, I'm just this woman that has a mastermind behind this fraud scheme. Oh, they made it seem so bad. It, it was it was horrible. Can you imagine my family that can't afford an attorney to get this book? And we start looking through it, and this Tijuana Brown did this. Tijuana Brown did that. She orchestrated this. She led the people to do this. So I was the mastermind behind my scheme. And you were helping other students get fraudulent loans? Uh, other know? students, um, other people in the community that were poor. Let's just be clear about it. Other people in the community that were poor. I didn't even know. I thought we would get away with it. I was clueless. And this is not anything I'm like, oh, we're going to get caught. No. It was too easy. And it's not. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying, if I could just get a an application, a parental loan, uh, plus loans was what they were called back in the day, parental loan uh united states i think uh, for the government and we simply sat down filled out the application and say i'm going to do this and change one number on the end of my social security number so that it doesn't register with me that's how smart i thought it was how much we talking about we're talking about five to twelve thousand dollars per check how many checks hundreds of thousands yeah, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Um, my portion, 57000 out of my co-defendants, 57000 But there was a total 
of about two hundred plus thousand dollars. But you know how much you got fifty seven grand. Yeah. So for me, for me, yes, I seen fifty seven thousand grand. You know what that that was? Nineteen ninety four. That's a lot of money. In nineteen ninety four, but guess what? In a period of guess how much? How many times? I I, I probably over years time. So for a college kid, getting that money, getting five thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars, seventy five hundred dollars with it every month, giving it to people, buying people clothes. You know, I never use, so here's, and this is very important. I never use drugs, never drank a smoke a day in my 52 years of life. Never. My mom was a survivor of domestic violence. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My kid's dad drank heavily. And so, and my uncle. So everybody that used drugs or drank around me, they were violent. So my, I watched my mom deal with domestic violence. I, I watched my grandfather pull out a gun and say he was going to shoot his son and, you know, just always threaten people with a shotgun. So as a kid seeing this stuff, I said, you know what? I want no parts of it. So I never, ever tried alcohol, cigarettes, marijuana, crack cocaine, nothing. I never, ever did any of that. But I was around it and seen it every day what it did to other people. So I said no. So I wanted to plug that in. So going back to what I did with the money, when you get on a college campus, you begin to understand that people come from the same environment that you come from. Broken. College is their escape. They don't have family. Get away into getting away to college and coming to college is like an aha moment for them. Like, wow. And they got to make it work. Or they they got to go make back. it work or they got to go back. So, listen, if I heard about a problem that was going on, go see Tia. She has money. She's going to feed you. She's going to make sure that you have clothes. This is real stuff. It's like out of She's a gonna movie. She's going to buy. It's like out of a movie. She's going to give you books. She's going to pay for your books. She's going to make sure that you have what you need in school. And people were like, she's dating a drug dealer. That's where the money's coming from. But no. Tia's got her own thing. I had her own thing going on. I was dating a drug dealer, and I was getting his money. But I knew his time was short-lived. So Tia got her own thing going on. Tia took care of people. Took care of people. Um, but when the government came down in the projects and started asking questions about Where are you getting this money? And looking for me. Now, remember, Mom, I, I just had Antoinette. My mom, so it's important for you to know that from 92, from 1992 to 94, the FBI came around towards the end of 93, the beginning of 94, they were investigating me, and everybody was afraid, and everybody told her. All your friends gone? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody? Nobody went to prison except for me, the lady that was cashing the checks, and the lady that was at the DMV. You had a young girl that was born poor in the projects that was smart enough to know how to fill out a parental application. We weren't even parents. We made up the names, so these were not real people that we, we hurt. I just want you to know that. The victim in my case was the United States government. I didn't hurt someone that I knew and manipulated their ID. That's important for people to know in my story. I didn't go out and take somebody's identity from them. This was all fraudulent stuff, fictitious, made up completely. And we sent it in to the United States Department of Education, and they sent us a check to every address. But what got them and they started their investigation, they pulled the data from schools 
and saw that these students or these addresses didn't have college students. Kind of like a, a, the, a, the childhood ACES report. These these kids didn't have these addresses. Don't have college students here. Were they legit addresses? They're they were legit. Ad- oh, people. So people this, is how, there. this is how the, this is how it got involved. I asked people to let me use their address to look out for the mailman when the check come. I will give them money. They get a cut of it for using their address. They get a cut of it for using their address. It's very sophisticated. But everybody. For a 20-year-old girl. But Well, <laughs> not even 20-year-olds. I started at 19. When we return, we'll continue to hear about the fascinating life story of Tijuana Brown, the newly elected Charlotte City Councilwoman. But right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on Breaking with Brett Jensen. We're continuing to play the interview between Scott Hamilton from the WBT Newsroom and Tijuana Brown, the newly elected Charlotte City Councilwoman, who is a convicted felon. She has a fascinating life story. And in this part, we hear about all the situations leading up to her getting into that situation with domestic violence and everything else and all the things that led her to the path of becoming a criminal. When I graduated from high school in, in 1989, I went to Barbara Scotia College mm-hmm. and Hugo. Yeah, hurricane. 1989, Hurricane Hugo. Well, before Hugo came, I was a cheerleader, captain of the cheerleader team at Barbara Scott's College. Beautiful. Young college kid, no children. Left Miles Park High School, went to Barbara Scott's College. And um, I wanted to be close to home because I was close to my family, just a family girl. And it's somewhere my mom can get to. I can drive back and forth. Had a car. My kids, dad bought me a brand new 300ZX. He was a drug dealer on the college campus. I had a big diamond ring. On my finger. I wasn't engaged in anything. It just let people know that she is taken. My kid's dad will come down to the school. How old is he? Is he how much older is he? He four years older than me. Okay. But so at the time it was statutory, right? That, I'm just that's just what sure, it is. Yeah. You know, um, I was 16 and he was 20 at the time. But my kid's dad came down to the school and would beat me almost every week. So I'm on the campus of. Barbara Scotia College, I'm a cheerleader, and I'm dating a drug dealer. He's very, very jealous, very controlling. I'm scared of him. Back then, we had telephones in the hallway mm. at the school. Payphones. Payphones. <laughs> but they had numbers. So my boyfriend would call in, and everybody, my friend girls were like, oh, your boyfriend called, you missed his call. And I was like, oh, my God, I missed his call. He's going to be driving down to the campus, wondering where I was at, what I'm doing, trying to jump on me, and I was just so afraid. So I immediately tried to call him back, like, where he was at? I was looking for you. I'm like, well, I was in my room, or I was eating on, um, I was in the cafeteria eating, or I was just you know, hanging out with my friends. That wasn't good enough for him. My boyfriend would come down to the campus, beat me, and then put me in the car and drive me to the nearest hotel near the college campus to get me away so no one could see um, the damages in my face, my broken lip. Um, there's a, a scar right here, right here, and right here on my face. So I'm pointing to my bottom left lip where my lip was broke and never really healed. And then there's a scar on my nose and my eye where my boyfriend at the time, would, the abuser, would just always punch me in my face. I was a beautiful young girl, cheerleader popular always and I would hide it let nobody know I was being beat people would see him dragging me in in the car they were afraid of him carry guns he's a drug dealer he was mean people were afraid of him that happened at Barbara Scotia College and um, I would just hide everything and 
I remember Hugo came through, and uh, I went home for Hugo, and I, and, and I told my mom I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't tell her why. I just said, I want, I want to be here with you. I want to stay home with you. And I, I just want to work. I don't want to go back to school because I was so embarrassed from, you know, being beat on the campus and left all my clothes at the school, didn't pack anything up, nothing. Very nice clothes, you know, just dating a drug dealer, the best of the best. Left everything in that dorm. I didn't want no memories of that college. And that's how I left Barbara Scotia College. Wow. That's how I left Barbara Scotia College. With, um, I just told people that I was, you know, moving in. So I, I worked for a little while. And then I wanted to go to Livingstone College. So my grades were, were very good. And so I got, you know, my transcript from Barbara Scotia College, went to Livingstone College. Once again, same path. Cheerleader, smart, popular. But then I was involved. Now I'm involved in this fraudulent loan stuff. This is where the the, the scheme started at Livingstone College, on the campus of Livingstone College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Was the boyfriend aware of, of the, 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 the scheme you had going on? Oh, no. My boyfriend didn't know what I was doing. My boyfriend didn't know what I was doing. He didn't have a clue because I knew that he was going to get caught for drugs one day. I was smart enough to know mm-hmm. that I need my own money. Um I was also planning to get away from him. I didn't know how I was going to get away from him, but I didn't like being being beat. Mm. He would pull up on campus of Livingstone College in his fancy cars, and people were oohing and on because, you know, here I am, this cheerleader. My boyfriend was nice looking, and um, I didn't have any children at this time. But then I get pregnant, you know, and so I couldn't cheer anymore, but I stayed in school. They threw this big baby shower for me. Big baby shower for me, and they, um, you know, um, I was going to leave school for that semester, and then um, my kid's dad got in trouble. I would go home at night, got in trouble with the law. They got mm-hmm. him for drugs, and I would go home um, at night, and I would pray that God would get me out of this relationship because I thought that he was going to kill me. It was bad. It was bad. My kid's dad would show up at Freedom Park and beat me at Freedom Park in front of everybody and people were afraid of him because he carried guns. He would beat me at Queens Park Movie Theater. And I will say this to you. Um, he came to Queens Park Movie Theater and um, he I had on this white tennis outfit and my kid's dad beat me and these guys were like, hey man, don't be beating on her, you know, from the neighborhood. What are you doing? You don't put your hands on a woman. He pulled out a gun and just shot the place up. This is not fiction. This is this is real stuff. My kid's dad was no joke, and I was afraid of him big time. And um, part of the reason why people knew it that my kid's dad was not you don't you don't mess with him. You have his drugs, you have his money, or there's a high price to pay. That's the kind of guy that I was dating. Listen to me. I start. I met him at the age fifteen. My mom didn't know. I hid it from my mom. My little sister knew that I was getting beat because she saw him punch me one time. And she says, I'm going to tell mom that he's beating on you. At the time, my little sister must have been 14 to 15. I saw him punch you. I know where all those marks are coming from now. And I just grabbed her and hugged her and we just cried. You know, because what do you say to your little sister that see this? Domestic violence is real. 
And um, I dealt with that at an early age. But you know how I got out of domestic violence? When my kid's dad went to prison. I didn't have the strength. What what happened to him? He goes to prison how For long? For drugs. How long? He He's sentenced um, to 15 years. Um, for drugs, he do, conspiracy. Did he do, did he do oh, yeah. 15? Yeah, every every single day. What's his story now? Oh, he is um, a phenomenal person. Now, you're talking about forgiveness. This is a man that you're trying to get away from, and you actually, and I'm, I'm not excusing what you did, no. but you turn into crime as almost a safety net for you to escape right. from this man who's abusing you. Right. And now you're saying he's a phenomenal person. How did he turn his life around? Forgiveness first. Let's talk about Forgiveness for me, yeah. how I hated him, yeah. how I hated him. Uh, but we have to go back because I was pregnant in prison, remember? Yeah. And that's the second child. And I absolutely hated him. You have permission to write to other prisons only if it's a mother, father, sister, brother, significant other, or if it's a child of your father. Your, your children. It's the father or the mother, you know, vice versa. I hated him so bad. I cried in prison every day. I blamed him for everything. He would write letters apologizing. That was that manipulative behavior. Um, I knew that behavior, and I knew that one day he was going to get out, but he controlled me for a long time from prison. I was so afraid of him that before I went to prison, he controlled me from a jail cell, a phone call, telling me what to do. Who could be in the room with me having this child? I was so afraid of him. My redemption came in prison, going through the classes, going through parenting, going through character education, going through self-love, going through domestic violence. We had all these classes. Now, you think I'm a phenomenal woman. There were other phenomenal women with Master's degrees, doctor's degrees, Ph.D., teachers, um, therapy, uh, just people that were there that could just nurture you to who you need to be. When we return, we'll conclude our fascinating interview with Tijuana Brown, the newly elected Charlotte City Councilwoman who spent time in a penitentiary as a felon. We'll hear about her life as a mother and the child actually being born in jail and how her two children are actually very successful now. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. Okay, so we're going to continue our interview with Tijuana Brown. Scott Hamilton from our newsroom had a long sit down with her for a couple of hours. And these are some of the highlights. And it really is a fascinating story on how she got caught up in crime. And now you're getting ready to hear about how her child, this miraculous story of how her child was actually born in prison, even though she took abortion medicine. It's unbelievable. And now that child and her children are extremely successful. A dozen people in my room, all my family, my grandmother, my mom, my aunts, my cousins, everybody came up for the childbirth because I was out on furlough. I was out on furlough. I was detached from the federal prison for oh. the three to five days okay. that I was in the hospital. Detached. 
I'm out on my own. Like I'm just. So it's not a hospital on the compound. It's no, I go to a regular hospital in West Virginia. Yes, Lowmore Regional Hospital, where my daughter was born. Lowmore Regional Hospital in Allegheny County, West Virginia, where my daughter was born. Yes, two-story hospital. Never forget it. Everybody ooh and ah over Tajima, dressing her, pulling the hair. This was a day visit for my family. They only came up for the day. Thinking they're not going to see this child. They're not going to see her again. So before they got ready to leave, we <laughs> prayed. And my mom said, you don't have to give away. I said, Mom, my decision is made. I was kind of short, you know, kind of angry. My decision is made. and um, But I tell you, everybody was crying. I watched them go down in the hospital, go down in the parking lot. Now, I could have went in the, hospital, in the parking lot, but I just gave birth. So I'm looking from my room in, in, in my gown, wrapped up, looking in. And, and this is a true story. Waving down, knocking on the window, just waving, seeing everybody crying, boo-hooing, just. And then Tajima was in my room. And um, I remember just getting Tajima and just holding her and saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to separate from this kid. Just kissing her in the head and saying, you know, God, you, you got me. You're going to take care of me. We're going to get through this. This incarceration, you know, at this moment, I thought I'd ruin my life. Two-year-old leaving with my mom, single mom, my grandmother, my aunts, my cousins, everybody in the hospital room. And um, I'm like, God, what did I do? You know, what I've done to my life, what have I done? This beautiful family that loves me unconditionally with all the stuff that I've done. And here I had a newborn child, don't know what to do, just confused. I love her enough to want to keep her in the room with me, but they had instructions to take her out, and I, I, I interrupted that because I can, because I'm the mom. The adoption wasn't final, you know. I hadn't signed anything. We were preparing for everything to be done, and it was going to be done in the hospital. And so... My counselor said to me, the same tall, white, blonde, beautiful young lady, um, she said to me, baby, I knew once you told them to lay that baby on your chest that you wasn't giving her up. That's what she said. So the parents, on the other hand, that I put, picked out for Tajima, they went in the other room, and uh, she, the lady, uh, the, the, the mother and the father came in and said they were young, in their 30s, but they made six figures. I wanted the best for Tajima. If I got to give my child up, I don't want her to go to a family that don't have any money. You know where I come from. I didn't, we didn't have money. We had love, but we didn't have money. And I also know that families have money, but they don't have love. So all types of crazy stuff was just going through my mind. I was like, well, we can love her, you know, and uh, she'll be loved. And we don't have a whole lot of money, but my mom's going to love her. She's going to take care of her, you know, and she's going to have the best of the best. From what we know, the best of the best to be. But I picked out CPA accountants mm -hmm. to be Tajima parents. Is that not crazy? My mindset as a 20-year-old college student, I want the best for my child. I want her to have parents that can provide everything for her. I'm thinking I don't ever want her to go through what I went through. And so this is my mindset. I make one phone call. The lady prayed with me and tell me that, you know, it's okay. Um, it's God's decision. We're not mad at you if you don't give her away. I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give away. I just need to hold her a little bit more. And I can understand the parent, you know, she really wanted her child and to, to leave the hospital. And I said, well, 
if I put up for adoption, can I can I can I stay in touch with you? Can I um can I can I talk to her? You know, every month can I just So I said, hey, you know, I know that I'm giving up for adoption, but she's she's mine. There was that attachment. I said, um, how am I going to know she's okay, that she's breathing? When she take her first step, when she talk, I said, can I, can I stay in touch? And she, the lady was like, well, that's going to be hard for us and you. We can give you updates. I was like, no, I don't want updates. I want to stay in touch with her. Kind of like forcefully, like, what if I want a back? I want a co-parent. Yeah, can I get a back? Mm-hmm. And they didn't want that kind of adoption. It was all hands off, you know, with a few updates. So I was like, okay. So they went back to the hotel, and they came the next day. And I called my grandfather. My grandfather breadwinner of the family. Everybody respect my grandfather. And so my grandfather said, if you... Leave that baby in the mountains. Don't come home ever again. That was it. That was it. My cousin got on the phone. She said, my mom put me up for adoption. It doesn't feel good. She said, we didn't give you away. With all the heartache and pains and everything that you did to this family, you keep your child. Remember me looking down in the parking lot? Mm-hmm. My family was going down the mountains. They were on their way home. No cell phone. No cell phone. I couldn't call them, turn around, nothing. They get home. I call. My grandfather already told the good news. I call my mom. I said, Mom, I need you to come back and get Tajima. <laughs> the name, day, and everything. My mom said, Okay, but I'm working. So it's going to be. A day or two. I was like, no, Mom, I can't leave in the hospital. I got to go back to, to prison. The nurses in the hospital took care of Tajima for two days. I worried the out of those did. nurses. I will go in my counselor room. Your mom every, <laughs> Hey, is she breathing? What's she doing? Did you give her her milk? It was crazy <laughs> because my counselor allowed me to do this. Remember, I didn't know about the nur- mother's infants nursing together. So I worried the crap out of those nurses. They was like, it's Brown again. She's on the phone. It's the mother Brown. It's the mother Brown. It's the mother Brown calling the, calling the hospital. Call back. Call back. Yeah, calling back <laughs> every 30 minutes or so. My counselor was like, okay, I'm going home for that day. We'll call the hospital in the morning. Soon as she get in, I'm at her front door. Hey, can call the hospital? Finally, my mama got there. My mom called my counselor over at the prison. And she said, I'm at the hospital. I'm getting Tajima. I'm taking her home. My grandmother came back with her, so they drove Tajima down the mountain. Newborn baby. My grandmother and my mom. Tijuana Brown, the newly elected Charlotte City Councilwoman with a very, very fascinating life story. And it appears over the last several decades that she has turned her life around and her children are succeeding in life and she's succeeding in life because she was just elected to Charlotte City Council. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us tonight. If you missed any part of the interview, you can go to WBT.com and listen to it there. Until tomorrow night, everyone, I'm Brett Jensen and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.